Thomas, thank you so much for being on the Step Zero podcast. Um, you're a senior director of uh, people and talent. You have ton of experience and ton of um, episodes to share. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and doing this. Thanks so much. Uh, glad to be here. Let's let's uh, get into the conversation, and I will start with something. What I believe is a, is a quite an maybe easy question to kick off. Um, why do you think mental well-being at work is uh, such an important topic and why do you have an interest in it? Um, well, I think it's an, an important topic because your people will leave if they're burnt out and that's not good for business because um, there's a lot of cost to hiring people. There's a lot of cost to rehiring people, right? You're spending a lot of energy in um, you know, making sure that your um, team acquires knowledge that you know increasingly they um, they grow consistently. Um, you know there, there's a there's a big I think evolution to the value proposition um, over the like last I think 10, 15 years, especially um, particularly in kind of knowledge work um, jobs, but also in like you know um, other other professions, right? So for, for like hundreds and hundreds of years, um, you know the, the the basic exchange was like you get money, you give skills. Um, but really these days, you know, the um, the exchange is really, you know, you give your skills, but yes, you get money, which in itself is, you know, typically compensation packages involving equity and bonus structures, but also you get a certain atmosphere, environment, flexibility of where to work from. You get perks, benefits that get increasingly, um, you know, increasingly specific to the company that, the, that there is. And you also get, you know, structured career um, development, et cetera, right? Um, and really, uh, a well-being at work kind of fits into this partially, right? But it really kind of goes across every single part, right? Um, financial distress is something that a lot of people felt um, last year with the inflation, um, access to um, health insurance, particularly like mental health insurance that fits under benefits, um, having flexibility on where you can work from is particularly important for, let's say, young parents, um, who need to, you know, organize uh, work around their their schedules, um, and you know, knowing where you can actually progress um, to, you know, that's uh, insanely important for people um, to get a a sense of, you know, purpose um, in their in their profession, just enjoyment out of daily life. So you can kind of see how um, across every single like area of of the value proposition, at least as we define it at as Juro, um, you know, all of this basically impacts how a person um, feels at work. And by, by that, I, by the way, like mean, you know, mental well-being being being kind of one part of, I'd say, like three sort of big areas, mental well-being, physical well-being, social well-being, um, and mental um, well-being really being sort of the, the, the big one that, that propped up, particularly during the pandemic. Um, under which, by the way, financial well-being, which oftentimes people sort of call up as a special one, I would just say that's a subset um, of it. Um, but yeah, that, that's, you know, ultimately what I think is important is really just um, table stakes. I think it's a, I think it's a great answer. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, you, you mentioned, and, and you said it very well, um, there has been quite an evolution in the way that companies operate in the past several years. Um, do you believe that the perception that we have of mental well-being at work has grown proportionally to the evolution that companies have undergone? 
It's a very interesting um, question because um, th there's sort of a, a, um, a question of it, who is sort of a hen and egg problem in a way, right? Because you see this, um, I'll, I'll pick up like compensation again, just as a sort of like equivalent, um, you kind of see this constant sort of like push and pull, right? If um, demand outstrips supply, like suddenly, um, um, like people can like ask for like really high salaries and you see this as sort of inflating. And then if the other thing happens, then sort of the quote unquote employer is is more like um, in, in the driver's seat. Um, I think with, with mental um, well-being, you have a similar dynamic where, um, you know, you've got a worldwide pandemic, everybody's locked down, and basically everybody suddenly realizes that um, doing sourdough starters and um, and home yoga and Zoom drinks isn't really enough. And I think to, to, a, to a degree, and I include myself in this, um, you know, I, I faced, I think, the, the mental impact of, of the pandemic years um, only quite a while later, like quite a bit um, after, I think, when, when like a lot of people um, did so I think you know I, I felt that I was sort of increasingly um, sort of isolated uh, a bit I'd sort of let social contacts like sleep in um, a little bit because I'm naturally a more introverted person right so it's, it's a little bit easier for me um, to have that happen so it was extremely um, valuable for me to um, actually have um, sort of access to the resources that I myself actually put in place at Jiro um, uh, and sort of the mindset and the awareness of, of mental well-being um, so that I could call on it much later. Um, so I think to answer your your, your question, um, I think has the has the awareness of companies grown? I'd, I'd say in in some cases, I feel companies have tried to put a have have sort of done a knee jerk reaction to it. So you've seen all of these um, providers stuff out there that offer like therapy and stuff and you know don't get me wrong those are all great but um you know if, if you think of the issue that you're actually trying to fix um offering a tool spending some money on a tool that's like free therapy isn't really the solution right what people were um saying during the pandemic and you know juro isn't and uh isn't is, is, is no exception of this is you know you're suddenly from one day to another you're basically switching to a completely different day uh type of working right it's a full sort of remote one and people have changed their minds over the years of like what do they like right now we're sort of settling into this consensus at for the moment of like choice first so you know people having like as much freedom as they can and where they want to work from um but really the distress that a lot of people were mentioning is, you know, no structure around um, like what should be a, a meeting, um, no structure around when somebody can, I don't know, do a Slack huddle or a Microsoft Teams uh, one or, or, or whatever, or like, you know, um, uh, expectations not being clearly set. And now you don't really have somebody that's sort of physically in an office space that you can um, ask. So I think that there was a lot of um, boring stuff that was actually missing, right? That led to people like, you know, working really long hours and like feeling like they're sort of isolated from their colleagues and stuff. And there's a lot of companies who basically sort of like slapped some free therapy on top of that and said like, oh, you're feeling distressed? Like here's a here's access to a, to, to a licensed professional. And that doesn't really solve the problem, right? Um, a lot of what we did when we kind of tackled well-being at work is really trying to kind of like a product team, identify what is the issue, like sorry people, et cetera. And ultimately what came out of this is that yes, access to... Um, Therapy would be good, especially to support managers who, you know, will encounter more and more distressed um, sort of employees and they 
um, might not always be able to handle it themselves. But equally, it is training managers, right? So um, things like mental health certification is a very common one that people like to do. But it's also just basic stuff around like, when should a meeting be a meeting? Uh, or when should it not be in there? Should there be days when you um, don't do that um, at all? Do you have very stru good structure around um, how somebody knows whether they're doing a good job? Do you have performance framework snapshots? Do you have um, uh, clear frameworks around progression and the expectations for progression? I think all of this sort of uncertainty, it all bubbled up into this one thing that people aren't very good at defining themselves. So it's really your job as, as the people team and, you know, the, the company by, uh, by extension to um, mature with that proportionally with the awareness that, um, that, that grows. And I don't think all companies have done it, but I think we're, we're now in a much better state, definitely. Um, and we, I think we've made quite a leap um, in the last two and a half years. We had a few conversations, a um, couple of conversations before hitting the record button, and uh, and you've mentioned a couple of times the necessity somehow to treat or to think of well-being at work as somehow product development, right? And you and you just said it, which I think is super interesting, and um, and you've described it really really well. Um, indeed, like we we sometimes we sometimes resort to very quick solutions. Uh, the reality of the matter is that the situation is a lot more complicated than what it looks like. Um, was this clear to you somehow uh, once um, you were helping restructure things in your current company? Um, was this clear to you that that this would have become an issue and that this would have been ultimately your challenge? Um, so... I'd say two things to that. Uh, one is, so I can't claim like full credit for the sort of productized approach to um, to people. There's, there's a lot of um, like much smarter people than me out there. Um, uh, Jessica Swan um, is is one of them who kind of coined this idea of people ops as a um, as a product. I think I was I was lucky that when I read that article, it basically formulated better a way of working that I already had. So I think I always took a very sort of featuresque approach to um, to the employee experience. Um, but she, you know, she kind of like, she literally wrote the book on this, uh, which is, uh, which is actually, um, out now, but, um, I think what I've always done, um, especially as I kind of joined Juro is to think of, is to try and create kind of controversially, almost a bit of a distance from people, even though the department that I'm leading, one of the two that I'm leading is literally like people. Um, but there's a lot of fluff in 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 that um in in that role if you let it and really the i have found it works much better for me as a leader to take a very neutral approach approach to this and say yes like i'm very close to all the people in the team right i work with all of them they're they're closer to me than customers or end users but viewing them more or less like customers and users helps you to keep a cool head when you know people sort of signal distress because you can uh, sort of say okay there's there's a group of people who are clearly saying that some kind of feature of sort of this exchange in an offering right the like you know i'm giving my skills and i'm getting something right is somehow not balanced right and then you can say cool this is one person that says that do other people um say this as well 
Um, you know, a lot of companies, they do engagement service on a quarterly basis. That's sort of your basic data collection. You want to go like one level above that. You want to have the flexibility to, you know, run things like, you know, people call it focus groups. It sounds very like corporate but ultimately it's like, can you just um, quickly get a group of like seven people together? Do you have some kind of basic template for like discovery of, of issues like a kind of UX researcher um, would do? Um, and really that approach for me has just grown over the years so um, within the kind of like people leadership community um, I like to share the sort of the people roadmap that we have which is pretty much like a notion um, page but it's sort of like evolved quite a bit and it now really just does exactly what a roadmap does right you've got to sort of like what are focusing on now what are focusing on next what's coming later do we have sort of estimates and like what quarter we do this in every single one of these has um, plans of action, every single one of these is like status updates um, that we report on on a regular basis. And that rhythm, I think, works really well for a company that grows extremely fast. Because in startups and scale-ups, you kind of constantly need to evolve that product of yours, um, the company product, not just the customer product. Um, and in order to keep up with this rapid cycle of a decision gets made, you need to execute it uh, against it until the next decision needs to get made and you need to like execute against it. For that productized approach, I found like works really, really um, quite, quite well. Uh, and I've just been lucky that I have a team that thinks similarly to this. I've obviously like hired them for that partially as well. Um, but, but equally that, you know, there's peers around me in the industry who have that same approach and that is sort of becoming more and more the sort of standard i would say in the especially in the sort of like venture backed young fast growing company community interesting thank you do you believe it it is easy to transfer this approach from a people and talent function like yours to um a different leadership function right i am imagining for example let's say head of business development, how easy it would be for somebody in that position to uh, acquire these skills, these notions, to implement these, these strategies um, for uh, this, uh, what you call, I believe, a feature-esque approach to people? Um, I think many of them already are. Um, so, I mean, we talk about, I think, like, uh, companies that they talk about all these acronym salads and these like uh, sort of um, approaches and stuff. It's almost like easy to get lost in all of this stuff. You've got like OKRs and you've got your KPIs and you've got your agile approaches and your scrum master, whatever. My, my sense has always been like at heart, all of these are really kind of following a core set of principles, which is you define a specific way of delivering something. You put that into like small chunks of delivery. You go very deeply into discovery early on. You have particular success metrics that you um, that you define. Our sort of like productized-ish approach to, um, to people isn't really different from that either, right? We scope something out, set a timeline, um, and then we, we do it. I adapted it so that it's very specifically usable for people right? Because we typically have to deal with a lot of stakeholders. So we have a sort of specific process that we found optimal for like, what kind of steps of approval do you want to go through? So to, to make sure that like you got the right buy-in at the right time from the right people um, outwards, that might be different for somebody in business development. Um, when, when you asked the question, I thought of teams that usually have 
even like way less metrics than like sales or business development functions have, for example, legal, um, which typically is like, I don't know, <laughs> like um, it's, it's very difficult for, 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 for legal stakeholders to um, kind of take a sort of target or KPI driven approach. Um, but but my my answer to, to, to this would be like, yeah, I think anybody doesn't matter where they are as the leader, they can typically follow a very straightforward approach at heart, which is, let's say you follow a quarter to quarter type of rhythm, right? Um, at the end of a given quarter, um, make sure you field from whoever is above you, or if you're like the top leader, you make sure you're sort of in on the master plan of like, what do you want to achieve the, the next quarter? If you're at the stage where you already do OKRs, cool, you do that in OKRs. Um, but then you really just splice whatever you want to achieve in two buckets right bucket one is what's the operational stuff um and what's the stuff that you actually want to like grow uh, and achieve and that can be growing or achieving in people or it can be in processes um and you know whatever new feature it is that you want to build do you want to build a new business development playbook do you want to um, build like sort of a, a new cadence for outreach um and you want to hand that off to somebody else and you give somebody that project to um, to do like all these things, they, they they're quite. I think uh, my sense is that they're they're quite. Um, they're not very complicated to do. The important thing is to make sure that you don't focus stuff in your team on things that don't add value to the rest of the business. Why well, I think as a leader, it's incredibly important that you're actually at the seat at the table. The company has a quarterly planning process, an annual planning planning process. They should have a master plan for each year. Um, and that sort of organizational stuff that might be really boring, right? Our planning process um, quarterly takes a month. Our annual planning process takes three months, right? And there's a lot of steps involved, but it's important because that's what helped us as a company basically get, you know, through the last three years with no layoffs, no hiring freezes, um, two two funding rounds. Um, and, you know, generally um, we're, we're, we're doing, um, you know, Still quite quite well, even though obviously we're also hit by 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 economic headwinds like any other um, business is um, as well. But I think any leader can can adopt a, a productized approach to their function. Yeah, you know what the, my my initial idea was to make this a 20, 25 minute conversation, and you're making it really hard on me <laughs> because uh, there's so many things I would want to ask. Um, let me let me go with this in one of our first conversations there's a, a couple of pillars to mental well-being at work that that we both believe are quite important and these are um vulnerability um at work and and the chance to improve focus at work is there either of the two that you feel like is closer to you or or is 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 there one of these that you want to comment on maybe based on i guess your um recent experience at work yeah uh, i'll speak to improving focus just quickly and then a bit bit more on vulnerability because i feel i opened that kind of worms when i talked about like um the impact of the of the pandemic on my own well-being um but just in terms of improving focus i'll just very generally sort of say again like know what product you are responsible for um, so if you're productizing uh, an approach like you need to be able to know at the highest level of the org what are you doing my, my sense typically is that there's depending on how you want to do it you've got either anywhere between two and three things that you're building at any point in time and whatever leader you are is you're building one of these typically you've got the thing 
that you're building is the, the product itself, right? For a Juro, that's the Juro platform. Typically, product, engineering, sales, marketing, customer success teams, they all build that one thing, right? One of them create that value, that's product and engineering, and the other ones distribute that value, that's sales, marketing, customer success, right? You're all building that one product. Then you've got the um, kind of second, which is the company um, product, right? So you're not just building a great product, you're also building yourself really, really fast. Um, and typically it's the companies that um, invest way more in the product than they do in the company that tend to either fail or they end up with a bad reputation. I'll leave it to the viewers slash listeners to um, think of a company that might might hit that example. Um, there's oftentimes a third product, um, which you'd kind of tend to think that sort of the CEO and legal and finance teams are responsible for, which is sort of the company as an investment rather than the company as a, an organism of people, which oftentimes people and talent teams are responsible for. And that's your third product usually, that um, sort of um, return on investment for like, you know, board or potential venture capital um, firms or whatever. Oftentimes you kind of say, okay, that's kind of a, com that's kind of the th that third product is kind of a combination of the first two because companies typically look at, okay, is this like a stable ship? Are they like hemorrhaging money? Um, do they sell a good product? Do they grow well? And do they not have people run for the hills um, all the time? Is their turnover, regrettable turnover, absolutely terrible. I think your best starting point in terms of improving focus is by knowing which of these are built you are you are actually responsible um, for building and then cascade that down. Do you know your cascade of what you're trying to deliver? If you keep that North Star, you will always be able to have a good prioritization process. I constantly get stuff added to my day. Like everybody will probably know this how their calendar so naturally fills up. I have a quarterly thing where I just like raise that down I basically like clean it up because it will fill up anyway and the way that I can decide what to kill and what to keep is by knowing well what am I actually building here um what am I doing and what is kind of serving that uh we often get very lost in sort of too much like sort of over engineering the sort of like targets and, and metrics or whatever just you can know, keep this very simple um in the, in the people um functions I've seen like I really only track 10 big metrics. Out of those, there's like two huge ones, and then there's four supporting ones for each of the two main ones. That's enough. There's dozens and dozens more that I could be tracking, but like those 10, I selected because they focus the most on telling me whether um, the product that I'm responsible for, which is the company as an organism, um, whether I'm doing that well or not. So that's on <laughs> improving focus. Um, on, on vulnerability, um, it is very tempting. And I say this as like, what I probably say is one of the loneliest functions in the business, because like as a, as a people leader, I typically find that I have to be sort of half a therapist sometimes for all the other leaders, because I'm sort of a designated people partner for them, um, as well as sort of part of that group. And I oftentimes have to sort of like, you know, build for my for my CEO um, as well. I'd probably say like the, the other lonely function is the CEO um, uh, themselves. Um, so it's very tempting to kind of have to have all the answers all the time. Um, and saying that you're not okay is hard. It's very hard for me to gaslight myself. Um, as it might be different for, for other people, but 
that is true even if there is no signs from the business that there is like that they would you know have any problem with like you taking time off and at the beginning of the year i um, had quite a rough patch um i actually decided that you know i needed to kind of take some time out um and work quite reduced hours um and you know that that vulnerability to be honest was probably one of the the best things that 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 I did as I you know told my CEO that that's what I wanted to do um here's how long I want to do it here's the projects that would not get dropped here's the things that would go on the back burner for um a time is my plan um and the rest of the business um knew as well I didn't go around like telling everybody it's like <laughs> I'm going to therapy but like I have no problem with saying like okay here's a, a my hourly therapy session just making that transparent in my um calendar or anything other people might uh, do that as well. But honestly, having that and actually having really good conversations and, you know, getting closer to particularly the other leaders in the business, because I was open with that, it helped a lot establish better relationships and also have better, deeper conversations with, with folks. And, and I think sometimes... I think it's easy for me to ignore that that's important. I typically think of, like myself as a leader being like good at three things strategy execution and relationships but oftentimes i tend to ignore the relationships part because there's so much to build and so much to do that you know you gotta just push through it or whatever um and there's so much stuff talked about hustle culture whatever i'm not going to repeat that but you know for me being for me like opting more into the like you know soft vulnerable um package um at the beginning of the year it has done a lot of good for how i feel about work Thank you very much for sharing. Um, there's a lot of really useful information there. And we're we're heading towards the end of the conversation. And uh, and if that's okay, I would ask one final question. And I'll I'll it's it's a fairly maybe a fairly open question, and maybe it, it uh, leaves some space for for reflection. Um, let's say it's let's imagine it's 2033, so 10 years from now. Um, how different of a person are you compared to the one you are right now today? Um, I mean, I'll base this on uh, what kind of person was I in 2013 <laughs> um, versus versus today. Um, I mean, I uh, to to quote to quote one of my uh, one of my my uh, my great fictional heroes, uh, Doctor Who. You're like different people throughout all your life, and it's just um, important to remember all the people that you used to be. Because um, I think there's lots of there's lots of me. Up in my head, I don't think it's always the right here, right now me that drives. I think this might be a weird cryptic comment, but I think a lot of people will will feel that, you know, whenever you're sort of in distress or something, you're like, you think like, oh, why did I react this way? Or, you know, what did I, why did I do this? Oftentimes it's, you know, there, there's, I guess, sense of, well, maybe it was sort of a, a, a younger version of yourself, a different side of yourself that was actually taking, taking the wheel um, at that time. What I like to think in in twenty thirty three is that um, I will continue to have encountered situations that you know challenge me um, to the degree that you know I will be able to um, you know be able to take the wheel um, and and pace myself depending on whatever situations I encounter. Um, and that, you know, is outside of work, but in, and inside of work as well. But, you know, like I, I like to think that I will have seen 
probably around Jural as a as a scale up journey. Um, you know, as far as I will uh, be able to see it, and possibly um, another one, and that will be a lot of lessons learned. Um, so yeah, make of that, <laughs> make make of that, make of that what you um, what you will if you're um, if you if you're listening. But yeah, I mean, in in ten years. Lord knows, Lord knows what happens at that at that point. So I guess I'll be uh, your guess is going to be as good as mine. I could have not asked for a for a better answer, um, Thomas. I I appreciate it very much, and I hope we can do this again soon. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, and thanks for your time. Appreciate it, Matteo. Thanks so much.